Thank you, everybody who's checked out my documentary, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. Been getting a lot of good reviews and feedback. I very much appreciate it. Please keep them coming. That helps me out so much. I'd love to do more documentaries in the future. It's very much dependent on the success of this first one, and I think you're really going to like it, so please check it out today. You can go to psychonauticsfilm.com where you can see a lot of uh, kind of deleted scenes. There's a lot of great stuff left on the cutting room floor, including you know a lot of... We do these mind-blowing 20-minute long interviews with somebody and then like 30 seconds of it would end up in the documentary or they'd they'd say something really fascinating about about a, a subject that we just never found a place for in the documentary but still something that I wish everyone uh, could see and hear about and so you can go to psychonauticsfilm.com to check that bonus content out as well as see a preview of the do you even need a preview just go and and rent it and if you go there if you go to the site you can see um, all of the places that you can get it the the main places iTunes and Amazon and then and Google Play are kind of the the big ones but it's on your PlayStation and Xbox it's on uh, YouTube it's on um, Vimeo it's all over the place there's a list of a bunch of other uh, different, like if, if you're listening to this internationally, a whole bunch of other options for you. So please check that out. Also support Stand Up Science by going to shanemossmauss.com, checking out my schedule, seeing when I'm going to be in your area. We're adding new dates all the time. So I hope to see you there soon. Enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with two postdoctoral research scholars in the anatomy and cell biology department in the Carver College of Medicine at University of Iowa. Kaylee Lumpke and Nicole Green are joining me. Hey, ladies. Hello. Go Hawkeyes. No. Go Hawkeyes. <laughs> okay, sure. I... Um, I'm indifferent about sports, <laughs> so you're welcome to say that without, uh, I, I think I'm supposed to be offended and say like, go Badgers or something or other. I don't, I would have no idea. My parents are from Iowa. Oh, okay. And so some of my uncles, et cetera, are, are Hawkeyes people. Oh, okay. So they're, they're going to be- I'm learning to, be, to embrace it. So. They're not listening right now, but if they were, they'd be really happy that you said go Hawkeyes. Oh, nice. Um so you're both coming on my stand-up science show tonight. And for all the people that can't be there in the sold-out show in Iowa City, we are uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your work here on this podcast and get an extended version of what you guys do, which is uh, seems like a lot of fruit fly stuff <laughs> going about, on. All about those it's fruit about flies. It really fly. is. I can't believe that I've never had an episode about fruit flies because fruit flies are a real it seems like a real integral part Wait, of wow. science i know over 200 episodes that's crazy really no yeah. no no fruit fly geneticist i must no be neurobiologist i must be misremembering okay. something or other 
because everyone in science is crazy about the fruit flies. Yeah, well, why we're... is it? Why is it? My question number one: Why is and and you can also uh, just tell people what you do generally. But question number one: Before we get into that, why fruit flies? Why why not just grab a your regular old household fly? and uh, and study that what's what's the big incentive with hmm, it's a great question well i don't know yeah I, you I think don't it, know <laughs> did i well, stump you with so question number many one reasons it's a great model um <laughs> thomas hunt morgan in 1910 <laughs> began using it in columbia oh, university <laughs> I was hoping we were going to get a Thomas Hunt Morgan reference. Right. Who doesn't, like, who been, doesn't love I've Thomas been, Hunt Morgan? I've been hungry for a Thomas Hunt Morgan reference on the Here We Are podcast. A lot of listeners have been writing in being like, when are you going to talk about Thomas Just Hunt Morgan? Hoping. Gosh darn it. All the fanboys yeah. and fangirls out there. Yeah. Finally. I, I think you threw us maybe with the housefly, why it's better than a housefly question. Uh, oh, it's smaller. I mean, I it's do, smaller I than a housefly. Fantastic questions. Yeah. I really they, <laughs> I, they are smaller. Uh, so smaller is better. <laughs> I would I would think smaller would be harder to to like then you gotta get smaller needles and small smaller I'm I'm picturing tweezers. More, yeah. Are there like little tweezers you're using? The, yeah, the tiniest the tiniest tweezers, See, the why? tiniest scissors. I can I uh, you can uh, your average housefly, Mr. Miyagi can do a chopsticks. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. Well, I can catch the fruit flies out of the air. I think you probably can, I, I can, actually. I mean, that's, that's really the only school I got from graduate yeah. school was the ability right to out of the air. Them. Yeah. Another You're great, kidding me. great party trick, too. If it lands, I can tell if it's female or male. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a little harder it's for me. It's a crowd pleaser, for sure. That, everyone gather <laughs> People around. People wild. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole's going to do her Nicole's going to sex flies. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Well, yeah. Wow, you guys must be a hit yeah oh yeah i mean when we have to collect virgins when we do crosses that's always fun to tell people like oh i'm sorry i'm gonna be late going to this thing because i have to go collect my virgins now (laughs) things that you Uh, shouldn't say in public yeah Um, or any yeah no yeah well i i guess i'd say like you know forgetting the housefly part right now Mm -hmm. um but compared to like mice or you know there's a really great worm model and they they all have their advantages but you know fruit flies we can make more um so they reproduce really quickly you get a lot of sample um we know an incredible amount about their genetics um, I know I'm yeah. forgetting some other well, great and I things. Mean, yeah. Well, they, if they reproduce quickly, then they have short generations. You're probably yes. yeah. able to see evolution in, in the in the um, yeah, in so, the moment in real time. Yeah. I so guess I mean, they're see. one of the oldest genetic models in use at the bench. So there's so a lot of historical. There's studies a lot of historical. Already. We know a lot about the the different phenotypes they can express and the genes associated with those phenotypes. Um, you know, over 70% of human disease-associated proteins have functional homologs in Drosophila. I don't know what a homologue is. It's a, it's basically... It's like a, it's like a anal... It's it's Analog just it's essentially how like like in humans there's this protein called TDP forty three Drosophila also have that protein mm. it does the same thing in Drosophila that it does in human cells so they're functionally homologous homologous mm-hmm. oh I feel like I've heard the word homologous yes, the same you know what um, we we forgot the most important one what? is that it's super cheap to it work is with very cheap it is very very cheap <laughs> I'm surprised it costs anything at all. 
Well, they do have to eat. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. cornmeal and molasses and sugar. We do buy special flies as well. You buy special flies? Yes. Tell me about it. There is, I guess there's a couple. Well, there's what, three? Um, the, the one closest to us, there's oh, yeah. a, a university stock center at the University of Indiana in Bloomington. Shout out to them. Um, <laughs> where they maintain thousands of flies that are unique in their genetic background. So maybe they're missing a specific gene or they contain a tool that allows us to um, put more of that gene into um, the samples we're working with. So Mm. there are all these like tricks and variations that we can just go and order them. What's like the hot fruit fly on the market? If you're, if you're going to hustle fruit flies. That's a great question. I mean, SP Curlio GFP is pretty popular for for chromosome two balancers. Yeah. I'd say there's probably like the workhorses that people have used and they're just really useful. DRTM six on the third. Yeah. And then there's you, probably these like she's really got this fly knowledge. Um, <laughs> I have none of this knowledge, um, but uh, <laughs> then there's probably like you know the like hot new stocks that allow you to to do things. Oh yeah, any um, any CRISPR Cas9 fly that has yeah, been generated that has used CRISPR Cas to delete any part of a gene is. Mm. I mean, there are so many Drosophila, well, not just Drosophila labs, but there are so many labs using CRISPR-Cas9 technology right now. The um, latest and greatest fruit latest flies and great, out there. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Um, I mean, a lo- you know, there's the fly community is such a great community, too. I mean, I think that's another great thing about using fruit flies is that, you know, we are just so collaborative and we're just so nice and warm to oh, each other. Oh, so the people. Yeah, the people. The people. Yeah, no. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, the flies are nice, too. <laughs> thought, they're warm, I guess. Well, I was like, <laughs> do they live in communities? I was, I was um, little... No, but I mean, like, in terms of, you know, scientific collaboration and sharing resources. So, yeah, at the stock centers, fly stocks are available to anyone. Um, but, you know, oftentimes labs The house will... fly people are kind of... They're dicks, right? They're kind of assholes. Nobody talks to them. Nobody talks to them. They're just in the corner somewhere. Um, But no, they. it it really is such a great community. Hmm. Um, And I think that's another positive thing about using fruit flies as a model system. Um, And then also... The house fly community really has gone (laughs) underappreciated on this show. And it's about time that I've Okay, I will say this about house flies, though. Nicole, you seem seem like you're on the fence I just I think that house flies are ugly. No, here's the thing, though. They're like, they've got those, like, scraggly hairs everywhere. They do, but if we're going to talk about behavior... Their courtship dance is fantastic. Housefly courtship dance is better? Yes, it is. It is more complex. Tell me about they, it. So, like, the <laughs> I don't know how I know this, but I know I this. have no idea why you know this. Because <laughs> well, know- I went to Cold Spring Harbor. <laughs> well, um, I, I love mating stuff. But, well, so when, when fruit flies, you know, mate, the male does a ritualistic singing, so a, a ritualistic song. So their wings hmm. vibrate, and then they di- sort of do this ritualistic... Um, set of movements around the female and like if you take a house fly (laughs) you're laughing if you take a house fly and you watch their courtship they actually do do um like their movements this ritualistic movement is more complex they have more parts of the dance than say your your random fly stock that you keep in the lab for generations upon generations upon generations so the lab stocks are actually a little bit more simpler in mm. behavior than the house flies i'm only laughing because every time i watch one of these videos i think about middle school dances and how <laughs> awkward they are <laughs> 
It's I was not so awkward. I didn't didn't even different. go to one. I was I was too awkward to even attend. You missed the out. Awkward thing, you missed out you know? on those memories. Um. So yeah. So they can move. So like I could. What about uh, what about the uh, fly genitalia? Because my favorite penis in all of nature is the damselfly. Oh penis. really? Oh, I don't. Are you I've unfamiliar? Actually, I am unfamiliar. I probably should know this. Oh my Because goodness. I recently switched to a lab that looks at ovaries. Um, I feel like this is in your we're, we're all about the females. <laughs> just discard the males. They yeah. They serve a purpose and we get rid well, of them. Well, the females are fan. I mean, it is. I I don't remember much of it, but I once read some 400-page book on um, insect lady parts. Um, Specifically? Yep. It was called Female Control was the main title of it. And then something or other was the subtitle. And so at one point... I knew a whole lot <laughs> about uh, female <laughs> insect anatomy. <laughs> I don't remember much of any of it. I'm going to have I to look know. this up now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to ditch NPR's best of 2018. I'm just going yeah, to that Yeah, no, book. totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how, I, that's how I know about... Okay. I also know about some funky penises from that. Oh, but the damsel fly, it, well, now you've learned something from me. <laughs> you really have to... I mean, it's... The damselfly penis, yes, what you're looking at there, there's all sorts of, um, it's got like a, what's the, what's the gynecologist, what's the instrument they have, the uh, specula? It has like basically (laughs) a specula on its penis, and it goes in there, you see that? Wow. And then, and it it like unravels, and then (laughs) opens up the specula, and then, and then it just starts scooping. This is way more than I ever needed to know about yeah, the damsel fly, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anything that I do is as frightening as this. Oh, wow. That's... And, uh, yeah, some of them have, like, cement that they put in there afterwards to seal up the lady. Oh, yeah, There's all like sorts the of fun plug. stuff. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. it's You'd be hard-pressed to find a better penis anywhere than the damsel fly penis. I'm convinced now, after seeing that, that was wild. What's what's uh what's fruit fly reproductive organs? What do we what do we got going on? You know. Like, un- well, I shouldn't say uninteresting because I'm sure there are interesting stories. But I mean, we pretty much look for females have this like nice pointed abdomen. Hmm. Um, it's pretty devoid of like the black. Oh, yeah, black this is your party darkening. trick. So like, yeah, this is my party trick that I can do. Um, it's like what's the easy thing that you see on the table that like well size, size? females okay. are a little bigger. Um, but yeah, their abdomens are just like nice and they come to this nice point and they're pretty much just like yellow with like the normal stripe pattern and males have this kind of like black cap on the end of their abdomen and they have this kind of like, I don't know, like circular genitalia. It's kind of red too, called. right? There's yeah. like bits of red. <laughs> bits of red. This is clearly but, my but, but there is like, some, I mean, I, I work on larvae, <laughs> so I don't work with adult They have flies, genitalia. But, uh, they do. They have gonads or lack of gonads, but I mean yeah. that's 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 not you know red sprouty things. That's just clear yeah. discs of nothingness. So if you guys aren't working on their genitals, which is probably the most interesting part of the vlog, <laughs> I mean it does keep <laughs> what, them alive. Well, I mean you work is, on the ovaries. I do, I do work on the ovaries now. So I just started in this lab, and we look at. Um, the genetics behind how we keep the ovary alive and and kind of doing its thing. But I just came from a lab where we looked at muscle. Hmm. So I don't know what I would call myself right now. I just kind of like to learn about all different types of systems at this stage. Um, 
But even though I've looked at a lot of different things, the the thing that I want to know is how do you keep tissues alive, especially over the lifespan of a, an organism? Hmm. So that's the, I guess, the question that drives me. So whether I'm looking at muscle or ovary, it kind of doesn't matter. I just am interested in unique ways that, that we keep um, organs healthy. Hmm. And uh, can you expand on that? How do we... I, yeah. So uh, I guess like... First off, I want to live forever. <laughs> And so I'm well, hoping you're deducing that from that's a good lies. segue. Um, so in the ovary, the the thing that I'm looking at is actually stem cell populations. So everybody in my lab looks at a particular signaling pathway called prostaglandin signaling, which is the thing that's affected by aspirin. Um, and so there's a lot of, of work that people have done towards like inflammation and that sort of thing. Um, but we found that prostaglandins actually are important for maintaining the ovary. So people are looking at at different aspects of this, but I'm interested in understanding how prostaglandins are helping us keep stem cells. And, you know, stem cells are those pools that we set aside that help replenish tissues as they age or if they die. Um, In our case with the ovary, it's helping to make more eggs so that they can reproduce. Hmm. So maybe the secret to living forever in there. Maybe not, but you know the goal is to to learn something new about about how stem cells work, uh, and possibly uh, lead to healthier uh, stem cells. Yeah, so that that's the goal. Is I mean that's why we lose the ability to reproduce at a certain point is because we just run out of eggs, or I guess it's maybe kind of an older way of thinking about it. There is some evidence that we we could as humans make eggs for the entirety of our life but for some reason that gets shut down it's a it's a controversy there's like the neo-oogenesis um kaylee you seemed were you you like it seemed like you're about to start eggs for the rest of my life oh yeah yeah the ability to have children forever just sounds Um, so fun i don't know that we all need that ability but you know for people who experience fertility problems this is a really big issue you know could we um you know give people the ability to produce eggs when if they couldn't before or if they have some sort of um, degenerative ovary condition could we you know uh, give them therapeutics to help restore their their function in their ovary and allow them to reproduce hmm. so I don't know that I will um, you know achieve that goal but uh, I think one of the the big things about being fruit fly scientists is we're I think uh, kind of just generators of information. We like yeah. one of the the big things that we do is find these genetic players and these genes that are important, and um, then that's I think a great resource for then people who work on like mammals and humans to then look at the literature and say you know well we have the same gene that a fruit fly does in humans homologs. is it yeah the homologs that we talked about exactly like could this actually be something that's clinically relevant since mm-hmm. they showed that it was important in fruit flies yeah. So no, completely. And, you know, if it's clinically relevant, then perhaps it could be a possible therapeutic target. Yeah. I think that's the dream that all of us fruit fly people like. Oh, God. Yeah. That, that's the dream is that you find something that is not only shared between fruit flies and humans in your system, but then it's actually something that, you know, is that aha moment for the clinicians who say like, mm-hmm. oh, we're actually seeing this in people. And if we could, you know, use a gene therapy to give them 
um, that gene back if they've lost it, like that would just be the magical cure. Oh, yeah. Because mm. I feel like most, I mean, I feel like translational science is, you know, a big, it's been a big topic of discussion since I started graduate school. And so often. Translational science is just. Yeah, so like bench to clinic um, okay. type of research. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, researching human disease, that's what I always heard in graduate school being discussed was the idea that, oh, well, at the bench we can make these discoveries and then they can be immediately implemented in the clinic. And in that type of model, you know, using something like the fruit fly is just immediately vetoed because people, I think, have this idea that because it's an insect and it's perhaps you know, thought of as simplistic, any sort of discoveries made in that system cannot be readily applied to human health. And I think that's a little short-sighted. Yeah, I think it's so short-sighted because we've won six Nobel Prizes. I was going to say. As a fly community. <laughs> so clearly there's something to that yeah. idea of using a simpler organism to figure out these, you know, complex issues that maybe have eluded scientists who are looking at um, you know, mice or humans, it's that idea of breaking it down to a, a simpler model that's allowed them to observe things that have never been found before. Yeah. Mm. The fly community is pretty humble, huh? Yes, but <laughs> humble. humble. We, well, humble we have to speak fly. up for ourselves all yeah. the time we because we, we get a lot of I mean, flack. you write a grant and the what? first paragraph has to be why justifying your model system. Yeah. What happened to Not just even like, your research interest? Science is about cool. This, <laughs> tell me, well, science is very cool. I, I'm, I, that's why I do this cool-ass podcast. Yeah. Um, but what, what kind of flack are you guys getting? <laughs> Oh my this god! Is... I guarantee that I for, I forget is is there a Q and A tonight? Yeah, there's yeah. A okay. Q&A. I gu- I guarantee to you that someone is going to stand up and ask something along the lines of insects. What's the point? Oh, I'm ready. Or fruit fly. What's the point? <laughs> I that don't is... think so. I, 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 I probably more educated. Let's hope. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But even I mean, I I love where I did my graduate training. It's my favorite place in the world. But you know. The, and, and the fruit fly labs there are fantastic labs. But, you know, even among my classmates, I sometimes felt that I was looked down upon as a fruit fly neurobiologist. So, well, so I'll ask it for you. What is <laughs> even the point of, of these <laughs> We've flies? just been talking about yeah, it. That's true. Uh, so, so that's the flack that that you get just from people generally from the scientific community. I mean, you from know. the science uh, from the scientific community, you have people asking, "What oh, is yeah. the point of oh, studying?" There, so there much are trash no talking. more opinionated what? people in this world than scientists. That's true. We are asked to give an opinion on things. Like that's kind of our job. Critical opinions, not even educated, informed, educated, opinions. informed. Critical yet constructive opinions. I Conclusions based in fact. This yeah. is surprising to me. I thought I thought that it was really well known the many advantages of working with fruit flies. Um, it is, I, but you know, in a, in a funding situation where you have to justify um, funding certain projects over funding other projects. You, you you grasp for reasons to argue against certain projects, and there have been times when model system choice and simplicity of the model system choice caused a you know discussion. Hmm. So um, tell me about that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I just I you know I, I know of situations where it has been used against grants that what during has? discussions. I guess I don't totally understand. Well, so. 
you know, if you have two grants in review, for example, and, and one is studying, and, and they're basically studying the same thing, let's say, and one is using Drosophila and one is using a vertebrate model, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could argue that using, depending on what the research question is, it would be more valid for the mouse or the vertebrate model to be funded versus the Drosophila model. And it, it does depend on the research question, but, you know, passing judgment on that research question is not really a quantitative process. It's more of a qualitative in some ways. Um, And there's a lot of bias in it sometimes. And Mm -hmm. so if you have someone arguing for or against it based on, you know, their, their opinion of the model system choice, sometimes the fly wins and sometimes the fly doesn't win. Hmm. It's just, it's just a fact. Mm. I would I would so. just add that I, I don't envy the people that have to sit in these rooms no. and make decisions no. because, you know, there are an incredible set of proposals that are put in front of them. They're all good ideas mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. and they're given, you know, a set amount of money, and sometimes that pot of money gets smaller every year. So it's like, you know, they have to make a decision, and there's kind of two schools of thought, you know, we're giving out taxpayer money, and we want to make sure that we get the most that we can for, um, you know, the, the dollars that we're allotting to this. So, you know, wouldn't it make more sense to use something that's direct, like, you know, that has a potentially closer um, relation to human biology? Um, yeah. But the I think the misconception is that that's the easier route to go from, you know, like a mouse to human when sometimes it's actually easier and we learn far more. There's a guy in our community actually who says you get 10 times more out of fruit fly biology for every dollar that you spend on fruit flies compared to other organisms. Um, so I, I think it's a matter of opinion and mm-hmm. there's some school of thought. So I think the response of the fly community has been, well, you know, if people aren't quite sure how they feel about the fruit fly science, then it's our job to, you know, be our own advocates and really justify why we deserve that money. Why is an insect a good, you know, model to do science in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Completely. yeah, I think we, yeah. we hear this a lot. So we're like, we're yeah. ready. Well, and also, we love, I, I love justifying it. <laughs> I, I get tired of justifying it just because it's such a great model system and it is an old model system. And it's a little, but I, I still justify it nonetheless. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to talk about it tonight. <laughs> um, what are you talking about tonight? Oh, so tonight I'm talking about, well, I'm talking about fruit flies, but I'm actually talking about my research. Um, which is on a process called synaptic homeostasis. So I love synapses. I know what both of those words mean. Oh, yay! But not together. Oh, wow. Well, um, so synaptic homeostasis is the process by which a synapse senses challenges to either the presynaptic neuron, the postsynaptic neuron, or tissue, um, and overcomes that challenge to retain normal function. And it's a really important process for maintaining the health of the synapse, for maintaining the health of the circuit. Synapses are the foundational units or the foundational building blocks of, of, of circuits. Um, and, you know, circuits lead to um, information flow between neurons that then, you know, leads to thought and movement and complex neurological functions. Um, and so I use the Drosophila neuromuscular junction, the, the larval neuromuscular junction, to study which proteins and which um, protein signaling networks um, function in, in maintaining synaptic homeostasis. 
I don't know what the neuromuscular junction means either. Ooh, yay. Okay, so neuro, motor neuron, and then mm. muscular muscle. And so the neuromuscular junction is the specialized synapse where a motor neuron uh, connects to and innervates the muscle. And so we have neuromuscular junctions. I mean, humans have neuromuscular junctions, obviously. We move. Um, the Drosophila larva also has tiny, many neuromuscular junctions because its two primary goals in life during um, development arts is to you know, move around, crawl around, and eat, um, preparing for um, pupation. And so, um, and so, yeah. How long so, does that process take? Oh, so 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 eggs are laid and then they hatch, and then the whole first, second, and third instar metamorphosis takes like three. It depends a little instar bit on star metamorphosis. Instar metamorphosis. That just means early. It's like some subcategories. So it, it goes like like tiny, not as tiny, biggest. And then the caterpillar stage is done. It's essentially the caterpillar stage of Drosophila development. Um, I actually don't know what the origin of instar is. I think, yeah, that seems like a general, like a, it's like an entomology thing that I didn't so take if, a class if my, on. If my graduate <laughs> mentor is hearing this, he's so disappointed in me right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, but those, the guys... Uh, writing the grants that are listening right now they they were at least they were happy to hear that you're sympathetic toward the hard job that they have I and mean, i'm true. sure they're very smart Just trying to save face the nih and over here yeah <laughs> i'm sure for all the nih people listening you know they, they're they're smart people they'll make the uh, they'll make the right you decision. know what's best yeah yeah completely <laughs> um what was I saying? I don't oh, know. Oh, I was I, talking I, about I just got off on some tangents. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, it's fine. Um, you were talking about. Um, oh, now I forgot too. You were talking. We were talking about the um, the stage from the. Oh yeah. Inner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, now I want to say, in, oh, <laughs> Instar, not Interstellar, which is a movie that I enjoy. <laughs> Insta- I'm just learning so many words today. And they all kind of, yeah, no, Instar. Um, but yes, no. So um, the Drosophila larvae go through um, a first instar stage, a second instar stage, and a third instar stage, um, and then they they and that takes like three to four days, depending on temperature. They are insects; they're thermogenic. Um, well, animal. Um, I mean, they're not technically considered animals, but that's a different story. Um, and then they enter the pupal case, which is essentially like the cocoon. And then they close from the pupil case into um, adulthood, and 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 they look like the fruit flies we all know and love and find annoying sometimes. So. <laughs> well, we love them now. Now that everybody knows the party trick, yeah, right. <laughs> Everyone listens back and now knows you you blew your whole party trick yeah. secret. It's that one. Well, I still all got these one. listeners. Oh, it's the second. You one. got one in your back the pocket. Other one, yeah, the back pocket one is everyone always asks, how do you kill fruit flies? Oh, what's well, your... Well, I know how to do that. Well, you know, I don't... <laughs> well, this is for, like, mass. Like, you've got a ton living in your garbage can. They're flying around everywhere. I mean, they how come home with them? you. Oh. It's, it's inevitable. Yeah, they, live, they come home with me. Yeah. But, yeah, no, there was a guy, actually, in Canada. There's a Canadian scientist who did, like, a thorough analysis of the best way to do this. Mm. Um, 
I think the article in The Guardian is called How to Kill Fruit Flies. <laughs> it's really fun. I'd recommend everybody go read it. Um, but the simple way is you just put a glass out with some wine or some apple cider vinegar. And then uh, you put some kind of like uh, plastic film over the top and poke holes in it that's just tiny enough for the fruit flies to go in and not out. So they go in. They like eventually get tired of flying and they just die in the wine. So you know what I normally do, and it and it, I, I guarantee it works every time. I take a wine bottle and I leave just a little bit of wine on the bottom. Yep. And because they they fly into the wine bottle and they can never fly out. Yeah, they're not super intelligent. But I mean, his method sounds <laughs> way more, way more go. It's, I mean, it's involved. Way more involved. I mean, Probably, it seems yeah. like you really did something with that method. Yeah, there's you, craftsmanship yeah. involved in that one. No, there is completely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would like to clear up a misconception though about the life cycle because people always think like, "How do you study adults? They die in 24 hours." I'm like, "No, those are mayflies. <laughs> mayflies die in 24 hours. Fruit flies live for a long time. It's like average of like 45 days. Oh, uh, they can live longer than 40. They can days. live way longer I than mean, that. There but are some fly strains. That, that this is shocking to me. Shocking. They hang around for a long time. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people like I would have if you would have uh, them. Have me guess. I would have said four days. That oh, would have been my guess. They're resilient. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So yes. when do they when do they start reproducing? Just right away? No, no. It takes a it takes a couple days for the ovaries. Oh, is it days? I thought it was like hours. Oh uh, well, like oh, I should know. This. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know more than I, I do this. on this. Um, yeah, the ovaries forming, I guess, in like the late stages of them being in the pupil case, and then um, they start growing. So their their ovaries are actually this big string of eggs in various stages of development so at the tip of the ovary and fruit flies is like the where the stem cells live which is what i look at and then as you go down the side of the ovary they actually get bigger and they come to the fully formed egg and mm. then they kind of like break off and are laid then mm. so yeah i That's don't interesting. i should probably know that but so there's a whole little production line it is it's like a little string of pearls production line and they hmm. look really pretty People love the pictures of them. Your images are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite <laughs> jealous. I just look at electric sig- electrical signals all day, and, and your images are beautiful. More impressive than the damselfly penis that I just showed you? Because that's like, I would hang that on a wall. That is so unique, I think. It's impressive. I, just, I might show it tonight. I'm I've still never a little a speechless about it, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. I, well, I want to see know. these. Now I want to see these eggs. I want to see how they do. Oh, I can. Uh, I have one on my. Oh, my phone is off. I'll show you later. All right. Okay. Uh, so, so what do you mostly do, Nicole? Um, in terms of like what I do. Yeah, like what are uh, like what every are you day. Gonna, what are you going to be presenting tonight? Oh, actually, tonight I was going to go a little bit off because I I don't really have um too much data on the project I'm working on yet. Mm-hmm. It's truly like nobody else had worked on it um before this idea of prostaglandin signaling in stem cells. So I, was I don't like, know what any of that stuff means. That's okay. I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. Anyways. Um, but I, I was like, you know, instead of talking about that, I thought I would tell the story of what I did in my graduate work, just because it does kind of go towards this idea of fruit flies are really fun because they give you unexpected results sometimes. So my graduate work, I set out to just identify new genes that played a role in muscle development. Hmm. So like Kaylee, I was working in the larval muscle system. And we just wanted to know, you know, can we generate more new genes for people to look at? And uh, 
I found this gene and we just wanted to know what it did. And I went from that to finding out that there was this whole complex network, how muscle and other immune tissues in the larval stage talk to one another. And actually, when you damage the muscle, you get this massive immune response. So we kind of found this unlikely partnership between immune uh, tissues and muscle. So it was highly unexpected. And it mm-hmm. turns out that you actually see in patients, for example, with cardiomyopathies or uh, muscle diseases, myopathies, you see that their immune system is really highly upregulated. So a lot of times you hear on television where they've taken tissue samples and they do like a genetic analysis to see, you know, um, I guess what level all of the genes are being expressed at. That's a pretty common technique that people do. So we could go back and mine these um, data sets that they had done on these patient samples, and you can see consistently that um, various different types of uh, immune responses are being activated. Hmm. So that made us feel pretty good. And that was, you know, again, back to that great link that we can talk about in grants, you know, this could be relevant. So I think, uh, you know, the really interesting thing was us is finding this unexpected link and then showing that you know, when we think about muscle development, it's not just muscle tissue we need to worry about. There's actually all of these other tissues in the body that are helping keep muscle healthy and help it grow and develop, um, which I think people are seeing more and more of as you study a particular tissue. You don't need to just worry about that tissue. You actually need to start thinking about the whole organism and all of the other tissues that are living, you know, right there beside it. So it it's exciting because it's, you know, this this new idea, but it's also far more complex and the questions you ask are more complex, so the techniques you have to do are are more complex. So I think that's kind of the area of biology that a lot of people are moving into. Hmm. A never-ending amount of complexity. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. <laughs> I mean, I, I got to learn about more than just muscle. Um, I got to become kind of an immunologist, um, which was terrifying and sort of fun at the same time. Again, like kudos to the Drosophila community because a lot of people helped me learn this whole other side of biology that I didn't know. But yeah, I thought I was tonight. I'm going to tell that that story about um, kind of just following the science as you sometimes have to do. Um, You know, the best laid plans are often not what actually happens in biology. So um, I got to find that out early on in graduate school. So how many is the word homologous? Homo- sure. No, what, homologous. What is the word? Homolog. Homolog. How many? How many? Is there a lot of? Is the immune system in a fruit fly in any way? Uh, do you say homolog? Homologous. In that case, I. So I was correct. Yeah, so actually, oh, wow. <laughs> actually, the I'm more so the more correct term would be conserved. But yeah. Oh well. So right. the answer is <laughs> yes it. and no because the gene I was originally looking at is unique to fruit flies. Um, there's a couple other insect species, some mosquito species that have a similar gene, um, but definitely not in in humans. Um, but the immune system. Um, is quite conserved in fruit flies. Um, there's a pathway called the toll pathway that a lot of people are going to be familiar with if they've ever taken like an immunology class. Um, that's a major arm of the immune response, and that is um, conserved between uh, people and fruit flies. And I think that won a Nobel Prize. I, yeah, I, think I believe it, it won a Nobel Prize. I don't remember what year, but that was like a really big deal. Um, that pathway is actually discovered in fruit flies, and now is um, something that's very standard to be looked at if you're an immunologist who um, studies any sort of human uh, immune response. So 
while the gene I started looking at was not conserved and maybe, you know, like, well, it didn't score as well in some of the grants because it didn't have a, a homologue, um, what we ended up finding, this idea that, you know, muscle and the immune system work together is something, you know, that idea um, could be applied to humans. So mm. in a very roundabout way, we found something that was conserved and, and all the pathways and immune responses we were looking at are conserved. So what kind of muscle issues are contributing to a change in the immune response? Yeah. So most of what we were looking at were really obvious things. Um, so the, the gene that I was looking at, it's called fondue. Shout out to that. Um, we can talk about why it's called fondue if you want. I love sure. Drosophila um, gene names. Yeah. Fantastic. So Drosophila, I think that's one of the things that I love about fruit flies is we decided that we were not going to be, um, I guess, just boring about our naming scheme. Like we don't want to just have a bunch of letters that don't mean anything. Um, we decided that when we lost a gene, whatever we saw, we would name the gene after that. So for example... When you take away fondue, you don't have that gene working anymore. The people who originally studied this looked at clotting. So you get these clots instead of being nice and compact like they should be to, you know, fill up that wound that happens. You get these big, long strands of clots um, that basically don't hold together. So the the test that they do to measure this is they literally bleed a bunch of larvae into this little dish and they take a needle and they pull it up and they see how far up it gets so it basically looks like this big strand of um like the cheese or chocolate fondue coming off the the i guess what I is it the like fondue, look at fondue again yeah i know the same i way. hope everyone is eating right now <laughs> so they they named that because that's the the mutant phenotype you get um and we saw something sort of similar i guess in the muscle when you take away fondue instead of having these muscles which are nicely attached to one another you see the muscles pulling away from each other that kind of glue, that extracellular matrix that holds the muscles together, pulls apart and eventually it gets so far apart that it just breaks and the muscles will round up as they contract and pull away from that site. Not unlike when you get a muscle injury. But the larvae um, do survive. Like They do survive. Through, they still and, crawl. And then do they pupate mm. as well? They die as... as yeah, they, okay. they don't make it to, to adulthood if they've completely lost that gene. So it is important because they die in that stage. Um, but that's pretty impressive that they go through third instar, though. Yeah. So the I guess the back to your question of like what kind of muscle defects were we looking at, they were these really obvious muscle detachment sort of things. Um, and we could actually, you know, take forceps as we were dissecting them and, you know, like artificially injure them and look to see um, about these immune responses. So like common things we would look for are like the recruitment of blood cells to those sites of damage. Just like when you would have a wound, you would have that happen. Um, and there are some specialized insect immune responses called melanization, which is like the browning of an apple when you cut it. Um, a similar thing happens in insects. You get this um, accumulation of that brown melanin and it actually will help um, form the clots and help trap any sort of bacteria. It just forms a case around them. So it's this kind of like primitive immune response. And we would actually see melanin accumulating specifically at sites of uh, muscle attachment when we would um, get these muscles being damaged. So um, there were a lot of these different uh, immune phenotypes that we could look for. And we saw all of those when the muscles were being damaged. Hmm. 
So, so uh, in terms of things that are homologous to humans or conserved, conserved, conserved <laughs> to humans, um, what what is that? Uh, what what is that? like is that is that a some sort of disease that you see in or or is that just muscles tearing or an injury yeah so i would say like any any person who has a muscle injury you notice like a massive amount of inflammation Mm -hmm. that happens so that's that in itself is one immune response is this inflammation you get the infiltration or this um, invasion of white blood cells and blood cells into your site of injury when you get uh any sort of injury. And this also happens um, in certain types of muscle diseases. As their muscles deteriorate, they'll have this um, kind of more chronic immune response. So that's an extension, I guess, of some of the work that, that we've done is we'd like to know, you know, can we figure out why you sometimes in these cases of like prolonged muscle damage, like a muscle disease, why do we see this chronic activation of immune system? Is it, and is that actually contributing to that disease to help actually progress that disease. Hmm. Um, And there are a lot of people that are looking at that idea. Um, That's a little, I think, easier maybe to model um, in more complex systems. But I I think the power of the fly is going to be in figuring out what signaling pathways are being activated to tell the immune system to be turned on. So that's kind of what we were trying to understand is you know, we found that in the muscle, there's a signaling pathway that's turned on. And then in response, there's a, another signaling pathway, that toll pathway I was talking about earlier, that's turned on in a major immune tissue of the fruit fly called uh, the fat body, which is kind of similar to our liver, but it does a lot of other things. Um, but by looking at those uh, two signaling pathways and trying to understand how they talk to one another, um, you know, they're, the people that are still in that lab are, are looking and trying to understand um, more and more and find out those fine details of how each of those signaling pathways gets turned on. So there's an idea in um, immunity, which is sort of controversial, that damage and molecules released during damage can actually activate your immune system. And this is, I guess, um, not necessarily in contrast, but a different way maybe of thinking about how you activate the immune system from that idea we all learn in textbooks called like self non-self or this idea that only foreign things in your body activate the immune system. So like bacteria, you know, components of their cell wall turn on your immune system. And that works really great for situations like a bacterial infection, um, but it doesn't explain immune responses in things like autoimmune diseases or chronic inflammation or um, even in lab situations where we induce a sterile injury. Hmm. So that's an experiment that we did, which was really... What's a sterile injury? So it's really simple. You just sterilize a needle and make sure you're doing everything in sterile conditions. And you, um, we use a needle and you just poke through the, <laughs> basically the body wall of the organism. And then you look to see if the, the same There's types of immune responses are, uh, are activated. Hmm. So we did something similar, but we grew our flies in basically like a bubble boy sterile condition and um, still um, had genetic conditions. So their muscles would, de- would detach and we saw the same activation of the immune system. So that told us that maybe we had this sort of damage induced immune response going on, which I think is a pretty like 
intuitive idea that that could be something that happens, but um, there's a lot of immunologists who are really resistant to that idea. Hmm. Um, so there's the two camps, and I love a good controversy. So I was uh, <laughs> I was happy to add maybe some literature that would give support to that damage theory. Hmm. So what are you working on now? So now I'm just I had to completely abandon that. They like I graduated, so they yeah. kicked me out, and they were like, "Go forth and do something else." So yeah, I decided that I wanted um, to learn something new and maybe a little different because muscle is pretty unique. Um, so I'm working on an epithelial tissue now, the the ovary. So there was, I guess, the you know looking at ideas of how do you maintain muscle. Found some cool things, um, but muscle stem cells are relatively new. So um, I was like, I've always wanted to work on stem cells. And then this, I guess, opportunity to work on stem cells in the ovary. And it's one of the best studied stem cell populations, the Drosophila ovary. So, Hmm. um, yeah, I just was looking for something new. So we'll see what happens with that. All right. I have one final question before that. I have my guests each week plug a nonprofit of their choice. Do you guys have one in mind? Yeah, so I, or yes, mine is the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Can you say that again? The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Yes. Terrific. Nicole? Yeah, and I'm going to say donate to the National Science Foundation because I'm really grateful they gave me an opportunity as a graduate student to go in and develop some educational resources in the classroom. Um, So I would say donate to them because they do tend to find uh, fund kind of more um, basic biology and educational initiatives for science. Mm. So uh, when speaking of, and by the way, if you guys do write a book about flies, I want you to name it <laughs> The Power of the Fly. All right, I'm sold. That was, yeah, that that was your good. line. The power. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think it's really going to move. Uh, and <laughs> what, Fly off the shelves. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yay. We did it. <laughs> Do we end there without a final question? That was almost a good enough pun to end on. I I still, it's going to drive me crazy if I don't ask. What is, what's, uh, what's the future of this stuff? Where do you, where do you see some of your work going? What are you the most excited about with, uh, you know, research that's right around the corner or new technologies coming out? Anything um, that, that you're excited about? There's so many things. I would say I'm really excited about a lot of the collaborations between um, like physicists and scientists to develop these incredible microscopes so we can see organisms developing in real time um, at higher resolutions than we've ever been able to. Um, so I'm really excited about those technologies becoming, I guess, more widespread and, and trickling down to kind of everyday use in, in labs. Yeah, and like for me to piggyback off of that, I think, you know, the we just have so many great tools at our disposal. I mean, high you know, high resolution imaging, cryo EM, CRISPR Cas for genetic engineering. I think the integration of all of those tools and the accessibility of all those tools um, to answer or to, to investigate a whole series of different questions is really I think based upon collaboration I think it that's really super exciting and the fact that you can you can tweet out a science question to the science world and get a scientist like to respond to you and start a dialogue with that person and that 
is really exciting and cool too. So you guys on the you guys doing the Twitter? She is. I'm not. I love science Twitter. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. I was just on there last night talking about some science oh, communication yeah. initiatives about like a, a um, video, right? Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll plug that. I, so on Twitter and Instagram, I have an Instagram as well. Um, I'm <laughs> at Drosophilady. I feel so old right now. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was a really great initiative. If there are any female scientists listening um, or women in science, um, it's called the Thousand STEM Women Project. Um, you film a 90 second video about what you do just to show people that, you know, science is a really varied career and everybody who does it looks a little different and has different interests. So, yeah. Very cool. That's a good plug. Go ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Women <laughs> in science. I don't know what to say after that. Uh, well, you gotta get I'm on just, the Twitter. Yeah. I, okay. Okay. I technically exciting. am on Twitter. <laughs> I'm just not active on Twitter. Yeah. Me too. I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I. But that's. I have poor impulse control, and so if I have it on my phone, I I check it okay. way too frequently. I get upset about the current political climate and all these things that I don't, I don't want to be uh, getting worked up about and in, involved in. So, but uh, I should just go through my Twitter account, mute everyone except for science people yep. or just have my like science just list. Happy science initiatives. That. That's yeah. all yeah, I follow. No, that's it. Or like <laughs> random scientists posting videos of blowing bubbles in minus 50 degree weather. Yep. It's great. Well, thank you, Nicole Green and Kylie. Kylie? Kaylee. Kaylee. Oh, okay. I knew when I said it, I screwed it up. <laughs> Kaylee Lemke. I was so I was so worried about saying your last name correctly. That's what it, people do with with my name, Shane Moss. Uh-huh. They'll always they'll fret about it, and they'll always screw up one or the other. It's either a Sean or a Mouse. Uh, and yeah. once in a great while, I get a Sean Mouse. <laughs> Yeah. That's I like that. That's fine enough. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, Starbucks calls me Haley and I answer, so Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. It's still good coffee. Yeah. It is good <laughs> coffee. I feel sorry for Haley though if I ever pick up her glass. <laughs> Sad. Well, thank you guys very much for joining me. This is a thank wonderful you for conversation. Having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank Important you. work yeah. that you're doing. I'm glad that you're working toward making us uh, as humans, or at least me, immortal. Um, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thanks. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, attentive, inquisitive people. And we'll talk with you more next week. Good news, everybody. We're putting out a bonus episode this week. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things going on uh, lately. I've been I've been uh, promoting a bunch of stuff, got the documentary coming out, and I've been getting a lot of support from you guys writing those reviews and everything, and, and uh, been getting a lot of support with Stand Up Science, and, and uh, you know, I made the new arrangement with Stitcher recently to... Um, to make it so they have the exclusive uh, content to all of my past episodes, episodes older than six months old, are only available on Stitcher Premium. And it's also a way of getting this podcast ad-free, so check out the Stitcher Premium. Um, but because of all, all the all the kind of new things happening recently uh, that I've been excited about promoting and then also have given me the opportunity to record a few more episodes um, lately and I've had a, a little more 
uh, just a little more time and opportunity to do a few more lately and yeah i i just thought it would be fun to just to show my appreciation to you guys why not stick a bonus episode out there so this one was a, a bit more toward the technical side so i thought i'd i'd do one that's um that's a little a, a little looser a little more accessible we're going to be talking about sloths coming up later this week sloth talk with ryan humped so check that out it's a really terrific episode i know you guys are going to enjoy it and those of you that listen all the way to the end you might be a patreon supporter of mine i'm i'm just putting out i'm uploading my first patreon in a in a very long time and uh and i'm gonna put out some more and get everyone up to speed with what i've been up to with my life and um and then I, i've been running some ideas for some by some people for for some new bonus content uh after recording here we are getting how to get a little bonus content here and there so i've been putting a little more thought into that lately so there's still there's not a a lot on my patreon but if you want to support the show it is the best way to do it and that really uh helps me out tremendously so thank you all those of you that listen to the end are my favorites and we'll talk to you in a few days
Today's outro music is brought to you by Moon Station Burning. If you want to discover more great indie music, check out Jimmy Fro's indie music show on iTunes Podcast today. Jimmy is the editor of this podcast and also has a fantastic ear for discovering great new music. So check out Jimmy Fro's indie music show today.